Welcome, one and all, to Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Thou art a map. Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 308, Crisis Point 2, Paradoxus, comes to you now via limited chronogomic functionality. And just a bit of fleet news before this episode leaves orbit. Pete, watch this journey we're going to take here as randomness helps us find random joys in life, okay? We're going to be talking Star Trek in a little bit. First, though She-Hulk might be over uh, and our wrap for the season coming, I want to point out that that Werewolf by Night podcast is up there. The same Werewolf by Night with the actor who played the Star Trek IV music punk guy. Yes, Kirk Thatcher there showing up in that. Make sure you check out our thoughts once, of course, you've watched Werewolf by Night on uh, Fantastic Geek or on the Marvel Movie Podcast. For our Andor podcast, we are halfway home. Pete, you could say halfway for the voyage home uh, with our podcast, having uh, covered the first six episodes of that 12-episode journey. Uh, which brings us, Pete, to Star Trek Four, not the Voyage Home, Star Trek Four, the Kelvin Star Trek Four. What info do you have on that? Well, one of at least half a dozen Star Trek Fours <laughs> that had been uh, developed, put together, written, choose your verb, Matt. This one by uh, the eventual... Um, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power showrunners, Patrick McKay and J.D. Payne. Yeah, and they had revealed in the last week, uh, I think more with the spotlight on the season finale of Rings of Power, uh, but they had revealed some details from their Star Trek, what I will call the Star Trek Kelvin 4 script. Um, Now, let's recall, Pete, their version okay not the tarantino version and not not the some of the other versions uh theirs was the originally announced version which is the star trek kelvin crew teams up with uh with george kirk and uh go on an adventure that's right dad and son together and so forth and we got some info on how that would happen this was the movie, Matt, that they announced the week before U.S. audiences saw Star Trek Beyond. Uh, that's how far out ahead they had announced Chris Hemsworth returns to the Star Trek. And as um, they told, uh, McKay and Payne told Esquire magazine this week, um they were going to steal the premise from a Star Trek The Next Generation episode. Yeah, and it turned out that the premise they were going to steal, um, in my opinion, Pete, is a super lazy one, which is they said, you ever see that Next Generation episode Relics where Scotty is saved in the buffer and then comes back for when we need him? Um, what if Captain Kirk's dad did that? You know, the Captain Kirk who, in the Kelvin timeline... And maybe kind of sort of by implication, the regular timeline, although that doesn't 100% work out. But the the Kelvin Kirk, who without a dad grew up to be this brash kind of loner leader type, you know, I, I think that was some that was an insightful conceit for 
the Kelvin character. You know, what if his dad had been on pause for all these years, uh, especially now that that unknown Australian beefcake turned out to be famous Thor? Uh, let's bring him back for that by using a story device from the next generation that was already used to bring back a legacy character. That's an incredibly lazy story turn. If you look at the box office receipts when Chris Hemsworth uh, makes a non-Marvel movie, specifically when he makes uh, a non-Marvel movie um, that doesn't pair him with somebody else from any of those Marvel movies, you can see why they passed on this opportunity to make this film apart from the super lame premise. Credit to Chris Hemsworth, who has, I, I think Chris Hemsworth has had more um, attempts to diversify his resume in the last 10 years than any other Marvel actor. They've all been bombs. So, I mean, I genuinely, genuinely mean a credit to him, but um, the Snow White and the Huntsman thing that kind of stuttered with its sequel um, the Men in Black reboot that then went nowhere. Black Hat directed by Michael Mann, you know, top name here. He's he's had attempt after attempt. And that's not su to suggest that he's unhappy with Marvel or trying to get out of it. But I think for all these people, you sit and go, you know, I look a certain way in the mirror right now. Can I achieve that 15 years from now and still be helming a Marvel movie, helming a, an Avengers movie? Probably not. Time to think long term as an actor. It just hasn't worked for him. Um, they just add to it. So they were just the many, 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 many loops and twists and turns and dives that this, um, that this Star Trek Kelvin four has taken. I'm glad that that movie didn't get made because that's not a great, ultimately it's not a great premise. Even if he was eager to return as all of these people are eager to return to some kind of functioning Star Trek Kelvin four. Sometimes the best movies are the ones that don't get made. Program complete. Enter when ready. The Cerritos is under attack from Romulans. Can the ship get away? They're being boarded with the Romulan goal of a purple crystal, and the Romulans aren't afraid to shoot to take it. Back on the Romulan ship, the asset has been obtained, and it's time to destroy the Cerritos. Is this their final day? But look, the Wayfarer is here, taking fire thanks to Captain Bucephalus Dagger, played by Boimler. On the Wayfarer, the Lower Deck's hollow players are damaging the Romulans, but they're gone with the crystal. The Romulans run, but the day is saved, though the Romulans have the Chronogami. Chrono, as in time, and Gami, as in the Japanese art of, yeah, we get it. Boimler pauses the program as Ransom sets a meeting at the commander's office. After that, they will resume Crisis Point 2. You're going to love it. It has it all, and cut to the opening credits. Boimler steps away, but comes back looking defeated. The story continues with Dr. Helena Gibson, happy and angry to see Captain Dagger again. Boims plays it direct and a bit without passion as they learn about the Chronogami. The Romulans could use it to go back in time and wipe the Federation out. But look, there's a watch that helps drive the plot. Next stop, Tata Shiore 9, like the voice actor. They beam down, but Boimler hears about Kitty Ya and leaves the main hollow storyline for a background mission. He wants to find meaning where originally there was none. As the crew gets hover bikes and zooms away, Boimler and Mariner stay on the side quest. 
Illustor's back tattoo is shown, but for Boimler, it's an important examination of the human condition. Mariner walks and ends up talking to Ransom on the ship, who notes that William Boimler, the transporter clone, died this morning due to a gas leak. Mariner returns to Boimler's story, and they're both in the brig. They have a heart-to-heart. They're about to leave, but the background character Knick-Knack saves the day. Our heroes take control of the bridge, and the tattoo map does lead to Kitiya. They go to the third moon of Shatanari. The giant rock monster still has no answers for life, and Boimler goes inside it raging. He passes out and meets Captain Sulu, played by Star Trek's George Takei. Sulu owns the Kirk farm now, and there's a hot tub in the back. Oh my. Sulu counsels that the randomness in life can help us find the random joys in life. As for the main quest, it's awesome, with a bit of the Matrix 2 in it. They go into the time tunnel and end up in the famous algae event, but Rutherford's not taking the story seriously. He snacks and Tendi fumes. They move to the late 20th century, and as Australian punks attack the crew, Tendi takes command, but Rutherford again isn't taking the adventure seriously. There's one more time shift, and they need to save the day on the founding of the Federation. Hollow to Anna takes a Romulan disruptor blast. And Rutherford jokes about the story. It's disrespectful to Tendi, who wants to be a real captain. Wow, she just said it out loud. And now it's time to save the day. They rewind to the beginning when the Romulans take the box with the crystal in it. Wink, wink. Captain Tendi has swapped out the crystal for the Romulan bomb. Threat dispensed with. Boimler wakes up on sickbay. He was dehydrated and Sulu was perhaps a dream. What a happy ending. A great sequel that ends without a cliffhanger. The end. But cut to a Defiance-class ship, a torpedo case being opened, and William Boimler is injected with something. He's no longer dead, though considered a dead man. Welcome to Section 31. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Heat, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with the Romulan Melpanar sisters. Drawing inspiration from the Duras sisters, no doubt, why have two when you can have triplets? I will also say down to the costume design, you know, mm-hmm. Pete, during the run <laughs> of Star Trek, the next generation, as I was seeing the world through different eyes, I did start to notice that the Dura sisters had, you know, um, booby windows in their clothing. And uh, there was some of that here with the Melpinar sisters. I noticed on second view, on first view, Pete, I was very focused on the plot and so forth. Yes, and that you can do that here in the cartoon that is simultaneously a holographic movie. Uh, it all tracks. Uh, next, we have the threat of Kitty Ya, and I would roll into that the notion that they end up on the third moon of Shatanari. <laughs> With a reskin of the original plans for the God Planet, directed yes. by Star Trek V's own William Shatner, and um, Shakari would have been too on the nose. Pete, my question is this: uh, How, at what point in this upcoming week does Mike McMahon get um, get blocked by William Shatner's staff member who runs his Twitter account, even though people claim Shatner runs it himself? The guy's like not I mean, on his Twitter account. What's the likelihood he already is? Um, ooh, that's I guess only McMahon would know, right? But uh, I have to say, I got a kick. I mean, look, we all we all have a hate, hate, love, hate relationship with Star Trek Five, and the fact that they 
kind of hewed closely to the shape of it. Um, and then in a certain level got meaning out of it. But then Pete, you know, Star Trek's George Takei's Sulu now owns the Kirk Ranch. I mean, just that in and of itself could could get you a block on Twitter. To riff on the Voyager reveal in, um, you know, the motion picture here and, and do the Kitiya as well. And, you know, not only that, wind it into this adaptive holodeck program that's trying to extrapolate meaning and learn it it's simultaneously both hysterical and with keeping of all these god plots star trek has has done throughout the years even mixing in the old uh you know technological aspect so i think a fair and intellectual criticism of this season can be i don't know that i necessarily subscribe to it but can be there's not as much of a cohesive season-long story as there was for season two we've had bits and pieces of it here to bring into focus uh section 31 now as a threat um as part of a larger plan plans from the shadows and so forth um I didn't see that coming, particularly since oh, it's going to be Crisis Point too. It's going to be another, you know, pretend fun holodeck adventure. Then we get getting the punch in the gut that Section Thirty One is up to no good. Yes, gasp there, William Boimler, not dead. You knew when he died off screen the hilarity that might be possible with killing a transporter clone twin um, was passed up. So seemed like a red herring. And what do you know, you know, the, the tack on scene there at the end, uh, you know, at uh, where, where was it? Uh, system redacted um, and uh, looking forward to the further misadventures of Billy Boimler. And one wonders uh, what the future holds, but I think Pete, it would be best to discuss that in the next segment. Indeed, let's use our long-range sensors to scan for theories. So, obviously, Section 31 up to no good here. We have them operating out of the shadows. We have... Uh, uh, do we have them operating out of the shadows with <laughs> black com badges? It is a very, very fair Star Trek self-finger wag um, to say there are these mysterious black badges and that broadcasts their presence as section 31 i know it's somewhat 23rd century versus 24th century and all of that um i assume back in our coverage of discovery season one we kicked around like did they maybe pop in the course of making that first season did they maybe not did they not know that it was section 31 right away when they were like let's have cool guys with black badges and it's mystery mystery um but regardless, that's a fair point there that, you know, I mean, even let's think in like the Deep Space Nine Section 31 episodes. Oh, man, Pete, who's a Section 31 person? Is it 
the Klingon food seller guy? Is it the scarf selling green alien? Or is it, I don't know, the human dressed in black leather? Pick one. <laughs> that the show picks on it, has fun with it. Yet uh, Billy Boimler still takes it because he's threatened that he could be, uh, you know, put down again um, is, uh, you know, all the proof you need. Well, I certainly like the idea that we're going to get in just the remaining two episodes that we might get some sort of, you know, cohesion or, or bringing together of the Billy Boimler Section 31 stuff and the Rutherford secret history man in the shadows stuff and all of that um again i know you know some people have said that this season you know has not had the cohesion of of last one um it would be a way to tie things together in a a really interesting way um because pete i think thus far 80 80 percent through the season i don't know that we've quite lived up to that um star trek 3 inspired Lower Deck Season 3 poster of, like, the mystery of Rutherford revealed. I think you give them the opportunity with the remaining two. They've not yet made good on the word, too, in this season, which we were told to bring back uh, both the Vulcan and the Klingon crews um, from the great second season episode where we panned around to several different uh races and their ships um well pete i'm gonna make the bold prediction that if we're gonna do it this season it's either next week or the following week um obviously tongue-in-cheek there since there's just the two episodes left if they want to go for kind of a similar storytelling vibe as they did last season with the the three ships story i think next week is better i feel like a season finale should end not with an experimental quasi-experimental type of episode, but more just landing with a square story. Uh, That said, if those crews show up or if we're going to get a segmented story the way we did with uh, three ships last season, if we're going to get that for the finale, that's fine. I mean, the three ships episode was, I think uh, Nebula nominated Hugo nomination. Yeah. I think it was a Hugo award nomination. It was, highly highly appreciated last season so bring in that sequel whenever you want pete for for whatever reference just so you know just looked it up the 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 three ships episode was the ninth was the second to last episode last season so some symmetry there if it shows up next week yeah and you know you talk about a sequel here um crisis point but i love that uh mariner refers to it as the vindictiverse um who gets their uh, holodeck movie next? Will it be Rutherford or will it be Tendi? Um, if I'm in the writing room, I would say Rutherford has already gotten a fake story this season. Yes, it was in the world of the mind and so forth. But I would say, you know, given that this show has essentially been in constant production since it was greenlit for season one. Um, and given that the peop- for the people who are making it, there's not kind of the separation of season one and season two and season three and so forth. I would feel like, hey, we just in, you know, just five, six weeks ago, we put the final finishing touches 
on Rutherford enters the the fictional world of the mind, are we really going to write episode 402, Rutherford goes into the holodeck for Crisis Point 3? Um, so I would say let's let's do Tendi. The fact that Tendi, who I think we all agreed in the first season in particular, was uh, was underused. The fact that she continues to get used differently and used differently and now has said, maybe I'm not just bridge science officer material, maybe I'm captain material. Uh, that's a heck of a trajectory, and I'd love to see those story threads woven into her next holodeck adventure, albeit we kind of had that with this one. But let, let's figure out what part part two, what the next part is of that. I don't think they would have introduced the captain stuff um, without some idea of how that might pay off. You know, you think back to Star Trek Discovery and not to ruin a season one storyline that pays forward. But, uh, you know, Cadet Sylvia Tilly wanting to do that. Now they handled it a little bit differently. She's not made captain. She's kind of changed her mind uh, midstream after a promotion, um, but would like to see them tackle that. Matt, the uh, chronogami device um, looks suspiciously like uh, an animatic that is used, the computer graphic, in the Star Trek IV uh, sequence when Spock is retraining his mind. You know, I had not caught that, but that's uh, that's a great catch on your end. Um, there certainly is something kind of blocky and cutting edge 80s computer animation to it um so if that's where they got the inspiration from um i i think it's a great a great place to pull from and knowing this show you know they they have nothing but star trek cred there to be able to say i have a great idea you know that scene in star trek 4 etc much like rating the top secret genesis tapes <laughs> yeah to, to be able to explain the chronogami. Yeah, that whole sequence was was fun. I mean, the only downer of it was we are clearly meant to be paying more attention to the fact that Boimler is mysteriously disengaged from the scene. Um, but the attention to detail to recreate um, that science lab, the, the outfit for the doctor, so similar to that of Carol Marcus and so forth, um, just you know the the love that this show has for star trek it comes through time and time again the alternate cinematic timeline <laughs> gets mentioned for a second time this season with uh different people playing younger versions and then with the uh news to esquire this week of that other kelvin verse movie um you know really feels like they're seeding taking a go at this at some point maybe that'll be the next crisis point vindictiverse uh they they have different people playing them and they're participating in the story that could be fun what if crisis point three next season what if it is they go into the holodeck and it's live action now in the world of lower decks they're not noticing a difference between animation and live action but what if that's your opportunity to be like and 
hollow Boimler played by Neil Patrick Harris or something like that, where you could just be, <laughs> you could be bonkers and sit and go, all right, we're going to shoot, we're going to shoot a 10 minute Star Trek episode, Neil Patrick Harris or whomever, you know, are you cool with that? Do you understand the parameters of the job? And, you know, we're going to shoot for three days and that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that could be a way to elevate the next crisis point um, in, in a really, really fun way. They've taken shots at non-Federation scientists this season to steal the tropes of the Federation scientists, you know, the outpost, the uniforms uh, with the little badgy thing up the top. I'm not talking badge. Uh, Badgie, the character, um, even the red laser thing <laughs> that goes back and forth that was taken from Star Trek two and put into another Paramount film, Airplane two. And I think the same device eventually made its way to the next generation. But yeah, um, yeah uh, again, the 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 care put into that scene and, and all the scenes. Also mentioned it was it was around that point i don't know if it was that scene but it was around that point where i was um really noticing that the the in holodeck story had uh some dirt in the film you know some kind of like grainy dirt on film elements <laughs> along with the, the cigarette burns to show the cutting of scenes and so forth And it was like wait didn't we just discuss this earlier in the month with werewolf by night that similarly had those things but also didn't overdo it to call attention to it it was just kind of background like wait did i see was was there some was there some some specs there? What's going on? Oh, right. We're selling the movie here. Um, Pete, it's weird. I, again, I, I, I paraphrase Captain Sulu here. We're, we're really leaning into accepting the randomness and these, uh, these random joys of life. Well, let's talk about uh, Hikaru Sulu returning to Star Trek after all these years, Matt. The misdirect of uh, the Kirk home in, um, what was it, Idaho, right? Uh, I think it was Iowa. Iowa, okay. Um, and uh, the the Nexus sequence that he's there with uh, Atlas the Horsey. Um, yeah, I, I thought we were told this would never happen. <laughs> um, look. I think that we were all super happy to get Sulu. I think that um, would it be its own joy to have William Shatner um, appear again in Star Trek and appear in this capacity? Sure. I do wonder if maybe some of the animus he feels towards, you know, Star Trek Incorporated, even though it was a different, by and large, a different bunch of people who made the the Kelvin movies and you know, one of them is still around and Alex Kurtzman and you know, you guys did me wrong and not have me in those. So I'm angry, you know, blah, blah, blah. That said, Pete, meanwhile, in another Star Trek timeline, Marina Sirtis, who used to wave people off of paying for Star Trek on CBS all access is now more recently saying, if you'd like to see more of us in these shows and more of these shows with us in it, you need to have your voice heard. So Paramount plus makes them. So Pete, I think we could come up with a thing to coax Shatner back, but Given us how we got Sulu, the beloved Sulu, the icon that is George Takei, the fact that he and Shatner have not always seen eye to eye, and the fact that now it's Sulu, albeit in the world of Boimler's vision, right? But now Sulu is the one uh, who owns Kirk's uh, ranch, and there's a hot tub out back, and all of that, all that that portends and so forth. 
it's just, it adds to a deliciousness that I suspect Mr. Takei uh, picked up on and appreciated. And of all the characters he could interact with, one of them named Brad. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, your reference, of course, to, uh, to Brad Takei, George's husband. Um, uh, so yeah, why, why wouldn't Sulu want to help out a guy named Brad? Of course it all, it, it, it all fits. Maybe we can get some adventures, whether they are, you know, real time or historical of Captain Sulu and the Excelsior down the road. But Matt, we can just continue to mine our cast for the name of planets Tadashior nine. Um, Pete. I'm I'm going to assume that maybe they've they the you know Mike McMahon and the people who make the show maybe they've sampled some some podcasts or some YouTubes or whatever and maybe they've heard that uh, that we've uh, Pete the grand we of fans I'm not proposing that Mike McMahon actually listens to this podcast but you know fantasticgmail.com for the reach out Mike that we've been mispronouncing it as Tata Sciore and to find out that it's Tata Shore. Um, Hey, all the better. Lesson learned. And to think, Pete, that there's at least nine uh, Tatashore planets <laughs> out there uh, j- just adds to the, the beauty of the galaxy. This one uh, said by the man himself, a favorite of black market weapon dealers. So that was a fun little detail there. Um, the Manuki Koala Kitia. You know, it's it's getting like Game of Thrones with the amount of uh, fictional religions here. Yeah. Um, and then add to it. Yeah, I thought we might be doing something with it, but we didn't. But add to it the the other holodeck character. You know, we're all living in a holodeck, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, A, like this show does so often, A, the callback is fun as like, you know, haha, callback. Is this the right time and place for it? Sure, the holodeck is pulling from a variety of things, and and whether it's you know uh, personal logs or or ships logs or whatever it is, pulling from all these details that the people in the holodeck right now have intersected with. So that's a great place to mine to get details as you're making your way through, and these there are these background characters and so forth. So it works as a callback. It works within the story universe, and it works. Uh, for a chuckle, so that's win, win, win. Using the Star Trek Nemesis Thaleran bomb there as the thing they swap out with the Chronogami, uh, Romulan in nature, and really uh, the the best reuse of something from a bomb itself. <laughs> wow, I was not expecting that handoff, but uh, certainly true. And I think, you know, used used in a great spot you know it's a it's a fun action-packed opening you know i think you can clearly if you're not sure if you didn't know that this is the 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 crisis point sequel if you didn't know know by the title or whatever okay fine the minute that uh, captain dagger shows up and and so forth you say understood this is a holodeck adventure um nonetheless the action sequence which is both the beginning and the end of this episode. You know, it's it is a solid. Yeah, yes, it's kind of animation fast and so forth, but it, it's a solid, you know, action set piece here. Uh, and the fact that it's frankly short and also well paced in the beginning means that when we change the story beats at the end, we kind of understand what's gone on. With that, let's open hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies. 
To Twitter we go, Pete, where the poll was this. Uh, which episode location would you most like to visit? Uh, 30.8% said Australia. Uh, 38.5% said the Federation's founding day. Only 77 said Bill's Rock World. Uh, and then 23.1% uh, would have gone for uh, what was hidden behind the redacted things, Defiant, even though it's a Defiant class ship, and I don't know it's actually the Defiant, but Pete, the hidden mysterious ship here. Uh, and on Twitter, Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC 139 said, I chose Australia. Why? Why not? <laughs> there was so much Star Trek goodness in this episode, I couldn't do it justice by typing a mini review so i'll leave that up to our podcasting experts at fantastic geek suffice it to say crisis point paradoxus was one of the season's best and i think pete just in terms of pure fun it was such you know uh reverence for what they do through the ability to pick on it i think and you know all the ideas the tropes from the films and then to do it here uh, and to do more of it. Just really, really fun. Pete with only two episodes of this season of lower decks left. Uh, we could not do it without those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. We're really looking forward to diving into what's left of this season. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to pick from. But it takes just a dollar a month to get behind that door. Get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Can't contribute this month. Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating in seconds, a review in just a little while longer. And Pete, let's certainly keep the Star Trek conversation going, even as Pete, we look you know, I know Prodigy is picking up again, but in terms of uh, the main core of the Star Trek things we podcast, uh, about to enter a barren time until the re return of Picard season three. But let's keep that conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E 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 12,776 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram and gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait pete there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek all one word with the p and the h like it today looking ahead pete on the pop culture podcast feed we'll be wrapping the she hulk season on friday returning to andor for episode seven on saturday and then of course lower decks episode 309 the penultimate episode of its season on next Star Trek Sunday. For now, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. You definitely want to avoid that many made-up words in a row. She never fails to take my breath away. I wish I could kiss her and squeeze her. Excuse me?